When you're smiling. Hey, you. Bubbly sparkling water is crisp, refreshing, and perfect for any occasion. Kind of like my voice, but in a can. No calories, no sweeteners, all smiles. Bubbly. Crack a smile. Hey, Chris. Hi. Hey, how you doing? Pretty good. How about you? I'm doing good. Hmm. I'm uh, good. I just want to say thank you for taking a part, a, part, a part out of your day and everything to be interviewed. I do appreciate that. Absolutely. Uh, so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go ahead and introduce the show. And then after that, I'll let you introduce yourself to everybody and do it go from there. That sounds great. All right. Hello, movie lovers, and welcome to the show. For today, I have Chris here. He's actually the director for his upcoming horror fi- independent film. And tell everyone about yourself, Chris. Oh, uh, well, hi. Uh, my name is Chris Moore, and uh, I'm an independent uh, filmmaker, actor, writer, all that stuff. Uh, and uh, yeah, my new movie is called A Stranger Among the Living, and uh, it's currently playing in the Oxford Film Festival. And it's kind of a supernatural horror film, and uh, it's pretty creepy. I really like the trailer from it. I love the creepiness of it. It has that kind of James Wan kind of uh, kind of flavor to it that I really like. Thank you. From from that kind of horror film. And I was just wondering, how did you come up with the idea for A Stranger Among the Living? Uh, well, I had a dream in college that was a lot like the dream se- sequence that opens the, f- the film. And I always wanted to use it in a movie because it was just so bizarre and so visual. But dream scenes can be kind of tricky. And you always want to make sure they don't feel superfluous or unmotivated. And you see a lot of them in movies to kind of pad the runtime. And so I I thought if there was a way to, to make that dream be sort of like the inciting incident and tie it into the rest of the film that would probably work and uh after that i tried to figure out what the movie would be about and there was so much in the news about school um uh, the school shootings and i've all always been told to write what scares you and the idea of a random shooting scares me so I took that and made the dream a kind of a premonition of, about that. And from there, the, the story just started to grow. I like that idea that you actually use something that actually scares you. So mm-hmm. that way it gets more of a reality type of flavor to what you're trying to create, create and everything. Exactly. Yeah. And to me, I think the things that we mostly are afraid of and everything in this world is actually the things that people should write about and everything. So that right. we can actually have that feeling of being on the edge of your seat through the whole entire movie and stuff exactly yeah it has that gravitas kind of uh kind of vibe to it mm-hmm. um another thing too i wanted to know was how long did it take you to come up with the idea for the movie well altogether, it was probably close to about 10 years because i had that dream in college and i tried to work on it maybe a few years after i graduated and i got, I got about 30 or 40 pages in and i stopped uh, because I got stuck and 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 things just weren't really clicking, and 
I had just completed another film and I was wondering what to, to, to do next. And I really wanted to get away from movies about a guy or a, a girl in a mask with a knife. And, and cause that was kind of like my, my last two films. And, and so I thought, uh, something sort of supernatural and more about the mood and atmosphere would be a good way to go. So I, I dusted this one off and started to work on it again. And I cut some care characters out and combined some and, um, and it just started to flow better this time. And things made a lot more sense. And I, uh, I put a little bit more humor in which, uh, which kind of helped. Cause I think it might've, I might have stopped working on it the 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 first time because it was just it was getting kind of depressing, <laughs> and I was right. like, I don't want to keep going down this road. It just it seems kind of a little bit too 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 uh, too dark, and so I I think right. that kind of helped. So you needed actually some levity with the dark with the light a little bit. Very there. much so, yeah. Okay, I got you because you don't want it to be too depressing or whatever no. you want to have some lightness into it right yeah because i've i've kind of dis, dis discovered that if you make a film that's so serious and so depressing and there's nothing to laugh at eventually the people are going to start to laugh at the film just because they have to have something to laugh at because it's so intense and that's what you don't want you don't want people to laugh unintentionally unintentionally so if you put in some intentional humor then they kind of get that release and they can just sit back and relax and in, enjoy the rest of the film right i got i got that whole entire vibe though too because if you look at american psycho with christian bale mm -hmm. and everything there's actually some of that lightness that you were actually talking about where you yeah we are laughing at the dark humor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of what he's doing, right? So I can actually get where you're actually coming from with that, right. because you do want to have some of that lightness to where the people are actually viewing the film, to where they're not laughing at the film, but mm -hmm. they're laughing what what the character is actually doing. Exactly, exactly. You have to make it intentional, or else people are gonna kind of rev revolt and they're going to have yeah, and, and and they're just going to start to laugh at everything and that's not what you want you know you want them to 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 take it seriously um but if they don't have some kind of outlet throughout the film they're just going to be like this movie's just hopeless like i just want to die you know and then that's not what you want right. and there's been a lot of movies that are like kind of like the paint by your numbers kind mm -hmm. of movie especially when you're dealing with horror films oh like of course Especially with slasher films, it's like, okay, we get it. We saw slasher films before. Yeah. What's different about other slasher films compared to the other ones? And then you're actually having to find a way to actually have a different vibe than what other directors and writers actually did. Exactly. To where it will be different from your film. Mm -hmm. And it's actually kind of hard to actually do something like that. It is. It really is. I mean, to, to, to try to break it down and say, okay, well, here's the formula how do I change that so that they don't expect what I'm ab ab about to give them? And I, I think with, with my last two films, which were more slasher-ish, I discovered that a lot of slasher fans don't like that. They kind of want you to stick to what they know. And, 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 and so I kind of thought, well, I don't really want to do those kinds of movies where it's just a bunch of kids going to a 
cabin and they drink and they smoke and they have sex and then they get killed. That's not really, there has to be something more to it. So I kind of wanted to get away from that um, and try something a bit different. I can, I agree with you on that as well, because here's the thing. I like slasher films, but I like slasher films that are different and not something that is just going to be a one layer character. I agree. You know, I've always said this and I'm, 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 I'm writing a script and everything myself. And I like characters with layers to, mm-hmm. to where people can actually gravitate towards maybe relating to the character or it's like, okay, there's more to this character that it seems to be. Exactly. Yeah. And it always seems like it's always like a good looking character mm-hmm. that is always the ones that are always the most interesting mm-hmm. because behind closed doors, that's when they're, they're their darkest hour. Right. Yeah. Of. You know, cause I think everybody has their pop public life and their private life. And a lot of the, a lot of the films only kind of show that more extroverted public life. And that's not very interesting you need to see what they're like when when they go home and they drink and they cry and they just soak in the bathtub and you know like that to me is more interesting and you don't really get that a lot with these kinds of movies you you just don't no and another thing too is with i I, would grab me and my attention with the movie and everything was the part where the character is actually walking on the floor and all of a sudden you see um, these hands go up around her ankles. That part, mm-hmm. it, that part right there was just fantastic. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> You're very welcome. Because I love that creepiness of that mm-hmm. whole entire uh, scene. Because it actually, either it can come out really cheesy mm-hmm. on a trailer or it can actually pull you into where you're like, okay, I want to see this movie because of that creepiness of something actually grabbing your ankles while you're walking. Right, right. And you're expecting, and here's the other thing too, is during those horror films, sometimes you're expecting either something in front of you or in the back of mm-hmm. you. And to actually have something that's actually grabbing onto you from your from where you're walking, that's that's a lot more creepier than having it in front of you or in the back of you. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I always like to play with um, Miss direction a bit where you know i i try to make people focus on something that might be right in front of the character that looks like it's going to cause some kind of harm and so you're focusing in on that and then the threat needs 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 to actually come from the complete opposite place um it's kind of like a magic trick I, i i really think horror is kind of like that in a way right where you're trying to get people to look at one thing while you do all your magic somewhere else exactly it's kind of like watching houdini mm-hmm. on stage doing misdirection with the with their with his fans and everything right, yeah so i totally get that i really respect you for doing that with doing something different well thank you're, you you're very welcome and like whenever I first saw the trailer and everything, I'm like, okay, I'm sold on the look of it. I'm sold on the kind of James Wan kind of flavor to it, and things like that too. Mm-hmm. So I really have to say, I really have to say, the trailer definitely sold me. I appreciate that so much. You're welcome. Um, my other question too that I was going was going to ask you about. I know that you mentioned some of the other projects that you did in the past, mm-hmm. but um, I was just wondering. 
one of the projects did you work on before directing uh and writing a stranger among the living well i uh I started pretty young. I did, uh, I would make films with my friends on the, on the weekends and stuff like that, but I don't really claim those that much cause they're not particularly good. <laughs> um, but the first one that I, I think got any kind of attention was, uh, it was called blessed are the children. And it was kind of a pro choice slasher film about these killers targeting people who had gotten abortions and uh and then i did one called triggered which was a, a kind of a dark comedy about a disturbed young uh young girl who kind of uses social justice issues and other people's pain as a way to get a t attention for herself but then she ends up uh, faking an attack by a killer and that killer comes after her. So, um, so those were the two main ones that I had made and, uh, uh, blessed was a little bit more on the serious side, I would say, but it was still kind of like, you know, a little fun, a little campy, um, some intentional humor. And then triggered to me is just a full on dark comedy. So that was, kind of a departure and so i i wanted to do something that was a little bit more serious this time so that's why i just decided to make this one is just i wanted to branch out a bit you know right i can actually see why you would want to go on hand branch out a little bit and everything and yeah. instead of doing like the everyday normal thing that you've been mm -hmm. basically doing so you can yeah. challenge yourself exactly that's the fun part and you see, that's what I'm working on, too. Like, I'm writing a psychological thriller where a psychiatrist is basically having split personalities, mm -hmm. but he's getting inside their his patients' heads to where they are actually wanting to kill themselves and stuff like that. Oh, wow. And basically, the very beginning of the start of the film, it, well, of the script, is where he's just having an argument inside his own head. Mm-hmm. And there's no verbal words or anything. It's just him in front of his patient, and he's and he's just kind of in a daze and everything. As a matter of fact, I call it the fog. Mm -hmm. And basically, he's having a battle in his own head. Nice. And having the struggle with the split personality. That so, sounds pr pretty cool to me. Thanks, I do appreciate that. And so I actually understand where you're coming from with the challenging part mm -hmm. because of the fact that. You know, from me being a writer and everything, too, I, it was actually challenging me to write something that's actually a little bit sus sus suspenseful. Sorry about that. Mm -hmm. And and I was all and here's the thing. The very first script I wrote about was about four teenagers that are trying to become rock stars. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a <laughs> departure there, huh? <laughs> right. That's a major departure. Yeah. So, so yeah. So basically, I wrote about that. Then I also wrote about this. So I can actually, I can actually tell you what it's like to actually being challenging and everything. And I like being challenged. That's good. That's good though, because I think every 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 script um, has its own challenges. Every single script, and um, and it it doesn't really matter if it's your 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 first one or your 60th one you know there's going to be something that is going to s just totally stump you every single time um exactly. but that's kind of the fun part though is it trying to 
uh, overcome all of that stuff. Exactly. Because it's like, okay, where do we put this character in this part? How does Mm -hmm. this character move? How does this character act? Yeah. And it's actually trying to put them in the right places at the right time. And Mm -hmm. we're trying to figure that that aspect out. Mm -hmm. And I can actually relate to what you're trying to do. So I just want to commend you for wanting to think outside the box with that. Well, I would like to commend you as well. Thank you. I do appreciate that. Absolutely. Um, let's see here. I, another thing I wanted to know was, I know that you're also starring in the movie as well. I'm just wondering, which do you prefer, writing, directing, or acting? Oh, boy. Um, I don't know if I could just pick one. It, it's kind of like a Sophie's choice of it. It's it, it, They all bring me joy except for producing. I do not like pr- producing. But it's just it's a necessary evil if you're going to make your own work. Um, I think writing is the most exciting because there's just so many potential directions that a story can go. And there's no one there to tell to to tell you what'll work and what won't. And it's all in in your head and just totally untainted by uh, uh, budget concerns and stuff like that like that um directing is more like grunt work really i i don't get a lot of joy from being on a film set sometimes i i do but i i I don't i I don't think it's as exciting as the pre-production and post-production stuff um production is the shortest part of the process but it's it's not always the most fun acting's great but i would rather be directed by someone else if i had a choice <laughs> it's, right. it's uh it can get a bit much when you're trying to do all all of it at the same time exactly and that's what i wanted to ask you because i know that directing and acting is a challenge oh yes because very much so i'm gonna use this as an example like michael b jordan told sylvester stallone he goes i want to direct the next creed movie mm-hmm. so Sylvester Stallone said, if I were you, I would go on ahead and keep doing what you're doing. You're not, you're an actor. You're not a director. Stick to Mm -hmm. what you know. Mm -hmm. And I I actually appreciated him for that because of the fact, okay, even though he's managing him as a character in Creed, he's even managing him outside of Creed and telling Mm -hmm. him and making him learn from his own mistakes from directing and acting. So that's what I was wondering about too was like, I know the challenging part is directing and acting at the same time. And I was wondering how mm-hmm. did you manage to balance both of that? I thought it would be harder than it actually was. Like, I, I mean, it was hard, but um, I used to do it all the time when I was first starting out. But I really didn't have a choice because I was the only one that was av- available most of the time. You know, so I was like, well, I'll just cast myself. Um, but I, I kind of had a good time with it this time I, I i think because the character was more supporting so it's not like i was c- carrying the entire film um and maybe one day i'll try a lead role and kind of see if i could pull it off but i kind of like uh sort of dipping my toes in the water first and i did like not having to explain like character motivations and stuff like like that to one less person because I had already done all of my prep work before, so they could just turn the camera on me, and I was I was ready. Um, I liked that part of it, and you know I'd all already asked myself all the 
questions about the character and stuff. And in fact, once I knew I was, I I was going to play the part. I read this. I I read this script from an actor's perspective and changed a few things that didn't really make sense for the character. So that kind of helped too because I kind of got to sort of re read it from a slightly different perspective and problem solve things that I didn't know were actually problems. Okay. I like that though. Um, I like the fact that you were able to do read that read from the script and like, okay, what is this actually called for mm-hmm. and everything, and what can I actually do to get the best performance from my actors and actresses? Right, yeah. And I'm just wondering, how did you manage to get the best out of your actors and actresses? I, I usually, I just cast the people that I think will be able to bring the character to 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 life, and I I, I kind of stay out of their way unless they need me. Um. With a few scenes that are that are more um, emotionally charged, I I do this thing where I make them play it a few different ways. I tell them to to um, to do one take that's really angry and just get that out of the the way because I think a lot of actors their first instinct is in a scene like that is to play the anger. And then I I get them to play it very sad, and then I I get them to play it as if it's hilarious, and then I do a final take where they com- combine them all, and usually I end up using mostly that last take because it helps them find a bit more nuance in in a in a in a scene that could easily get a little bit more one note. Okay. And uh, but but usually if they're doing a great job, I just stand back and let them work their magic. I don't I don't blame you for that because improv is basically a hundred percent of what they do too as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, a lot of them. Yeah, and I love improv. I love when people are whenever I find out certain things wasn't really actually in the script. It makes me even that mm-hmm. more excited about the scene even more because it actually right. adds I mean, to the scene. You have to stay open with your actors, and sometimes they'll point out a problem that you didn't even know the 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 story or their character had. And I think if you're a director who's very kind of stern and wants to do everything their own way, I, that's not really the way to do it. I don't think it. You have to keep an open mind and listen to your actors because sometimes they have great things to say other times you know there are some times where where they're like hey um so can we maybe move the camera and the light a little bit to the left because that's my bad side and i just I, i don't look as as beautiful and i'm like that's not really serving the story that's serving you that's right. not really the same thing so you you have to be careful but also always just pay attention exactly you know? because here's yeah. the thing when actors or actresses say that or whatever you're right it's just benefiting mm-hmm. them it's not benefiting yeah. the story and exactly sometimes actors actually forget that they're not playing themselves they're playing a character exactly 100 percent yeah. And that's becomes the biggest challenge of it all is mm-hmm. okay, so what am I supposed to do with this actor or actress that's saying, well, exactly. 
you know, <laughs> this person's just not getting it, you know? No, no. And, and I, I usually try to stay away from those types if I can, because you can you usually tell when they audition or put in a tape, you can just tell this one looks like they're going to be trouble. And, um, and because those actors to me and on another, another note, there are, are certain actors who are, are like, um, well, I can't really say that one word because my church group might see this and they're going to be really mad. I'm like, well, then you shouldn't be an actor because there's going to be things and words that you're going to be asked to say or do. And, you know, you, you that, that, that's just not the way to be an, an a actor. You know, you have to have guts. You have to have courage and realize that most people are smart enough to realize that you're playing a character. You know, you're yeah. not you. Right. And uh, so you kind of have to stay away from those types too. I've gotten a, f a few of those but before and I'm always like, oh, God, you are not going to get the part. There's no way in hell. Well, what if they change like a certain word to where it's actually still has that threatening image? Like, for instance, if let's say, for instance, someone says like GD or whatever, and then they change it into like mm -hmm. the into like fuck. And yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's it's a it's a case by case basis. I've I've been pretty lax with stuff like that, right? Um, but when they're like, "Oh, this character right. has an a." affair with a married man and i just don't think i i can do it i'm like well that's a huge part of the story so <laughs> if you're gonna if you want the part you're gonna do it like it's like i'm not asking you to play in like a all nude gang 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 bang scene right. like it's not that bad you know um so you just it, right. it, it's, it's kind of a it's a case by case thing like there's right. some things that if if they bring up i'll say oh yeah i guess we could change that that doesn't have to be there right um but when it's something important to the character or the story then i kind of have to be like uh we're not going to change that Most definitely, you know? especially whenever you're dealing with like a character arc from where they get oh one. god yeah right so yeah if it's to motivate the story and everything you have to disappear your own self into that character mm -hmm. otherwise you're just absolutely playing a carbon otherwise you're just playing a carbon copy of your own self and nobody wants yeah to do that. No, that's so boring. It definitely is. Otherwise, it's not acting. It's just you pretending. Exactly. It's like, so you're just like modeling now? Like, that's all you're doing. You're just sort of standing there and po po posing and pl playing your yourself. And that's not, I mean, as an, an actor myself, I find that incredibly dull to play. Um, I wouldn't want to play myself because I'm like, I'm not really that interesting, you know, exactly. so I would I would rather play someone who's crazy or has a, a, some kind of addiction or something like something more fun and interesting than just oh just regular old me. You know, that's that that that's just not fun. No, it's definitely not, because like yeah. you said, we're definitely not like, you know, the we're just average Joes pretty much. <laughs> and everything mm -hmm. is. Yeah. Yeah. And really that, but I know that some actors or actresses are like when, when they're reciting some lines, it's like, you know, it goes really steel because it's like, they're just walk, mm -hmm. getting out of bed and singing a couple of lines. And then it's like, okay, uh, I'm done. I'm going back to sleep. I know. 
It's the worst. It's the absolute worst. And you know what? That's the main problem I had with the X-Men Apocalypse movie that I saw. And I love uh, Jennifer Lawrence, but whenever I heard her say some of her lines, it's like, okay, I can definitely tell you're getting tired of playing Rogue. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> you just need to go on here and retire the character right yeah. now after you've been playing her for like four or five years. So, yeah. you know, I can actually tell, and whenever the audience actually feels that way and everything, mm-hmm. that also has an effect on it as well. It does. It does. I think sometimes you can tell when an actor has checked out. You you just know. Right. And what do you, uh, here's another thing, with the process of auditions and stuff, I'm interested, like, what do you actually look for in ad- auditions? Um. Well, I... I try not to write my characters in a very specific way. Like I, I don't say this character must have blonde hair. This character must be white. This character must be black. I don't try to do that because I think it can kind of, it it can kind of stunt you a, a tiny bit because you have all these conceptions of a character and if someone comes in who actually captures the heart of the character, but but they're not exactly what you saw in 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 your head, or they don't really match the description in the script, you have to ask yourself: Well, they're capturing the heart and the vibe of the character better than any anyone else. Does it matter if they're not exactly as they're supposed to look? And so I just try to throw all of that stuff out, and there have been times when I've I've changed uh, parts for certain a- actors yeah. actors because they were so great that I just thought I would be stupid not to cast them. Right. Um, and I so I, once again I think it's about trying to keep that open mind of. Oh who's going to walk in the door or send in a tape. Um, but usually with auditions, I have to say, you know, if they understand the part within about the first 10 to 20 seconds, like they're not going to win you over at the end. It's one of those things where they either know it or they don't. And uh, yeah, so that's always, it's, it's, I, I, I would say like for ex example there's a part in this film and it's the part of the mom and i got this tape in i had gotten maybe two or three before her and she came came in and it was exactly as i pictured it every line every word every inflection and i just thought i would be stupid not to cast her she was perfect, but then it seemed like just about ev- everybody else. Some of them might have been really great actors, but they just weren't right for the part. Right. And that's always the tough part is to reject people who are talented, but who are just not right for the part. Now, when they have no talent whatsoever and they're just reading their lines like this on the page, you're like, get the fuck out. Right. Like, just go. You know, like, like that's not. I don't need that. Like you don't need to be an 
actor. Frankly, I don't care if your feelings are hurt because you should know at this right. point you're not supposed to speak in public. <laughs> like, just right. don't act again. You know, so so those don't really bother me that much. But when they're really talented, that sucks. That hurts right. really bad. Because you're, because you want to be like you're so good, but you're just not right for the part. You most know? definitely. Because another thing too is I learned this in the theater school. Well, not theater school, but mm -hmm. when I was in my senior year of high school, my teacher mm -hmm. said, "If you're getting into criticism, you might as well just get the hell out of the room." Because oh yeah, oh god yeah. And she goes, "Because I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to criticize you." For your acting i'm going to criticize you mm -hmm. for your auditions i'm going to criticize you mm -hmm. when the time is needed so if you're not into right. criticism this thing is not for you if i were you i would go ahead and go to the principal right now and get my schedule mm -hmm. changed so yeah i mean that's just the arts right. altogether. i mean you know there with my with my 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 last few movies there have been some that absolutely love them and then there have been some that were like this is the worst thing i've ever seen in my life <laughs> and what helped me was to look on imdb and find my 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 top 10 favorite films and i would look and i would see the the lowest ones and every single one had a a a a few one one star worst movie ever reviews so that's every film every film at some point has been called the best movie of all of all time and the worst right. you know and these are some that have they've won oscars and all kinds of right. things but someone out there thought it was the worst movie ever made so if you keep that in mind and you realize it's just one person's opinion, you'll be fine. Exactly. You, you know, but now when it's like a majority, when it's like 80, 90% is like, this is God awful, then maybe you should start to think about it. But if it's at least like 50% or under, I would say you're probably doing fine, right. you know. And another thing too is like when you mentioned like when you have a good actor versus just an actor that isn't really caring for the role or whatever, and you actually have to tell mm -hmm. the actor that's actually really good that somebody else got the part. I know that actually has to suck right. because it's not them; it's just like the yeah. other performers outshine the other performance. Exactly. Yeah. At the same time, you also know that person's going to go very far if they keep on pursuing mm -hmm. it. So therefore. Oh, you yeah. Know, you don't really have to lose that much sleep over the fact that, you know, this person may not get another job again or whatever, because if they're still fired up, right. about it, they're still going to find a way to get in there no matter what. Right. And there have been times when I've actually contact contacted them and said, look, you didn't get the part, but I want you to know you're fantastic and keep on going because you have it. You have a talent right. because I think that's important. It important to 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 hear because usually because I have been on that other side as an actor where you just don't hear back and obviously you didn't get the right. part but no one says why no one in, encourages you so I think it's important to say look it's it's not you you have a gift it just you weren't right for this part and you see I respect you for doing that I respect you for actually talk getting on the phone and actually like look you have what it takes just keep on going it's just that somebody else is better right. did a better job than you did and i wish a lot of success yeah. in the future i respect that about mm -hmm. you and everything for doing that rather than like okay what did i do wrong did i botch that whole entire thing yeah or not? 
yeah, because I have been there and it sucks because you're like, oh my God, was it what I had on? Was it like my voice? Was it my eyes, my hair? Like, right. like you, you, you just, you go, you start to go down that list of everything you could have possibly done wrong. Right. And most of, of the time, it's not you. It's really not. Right. It's just that, you know, in our minds, we act, that, that actually creates anxiety on the other people. Though, too. Mm -hmm. Oh, totally. Yeah, absolutely. So I can actually understand why, you know, you would actually want to do that for your actors or actresses to where it's like, hey, look, it's not you or anything like that. If I keep mm -hmm. on doing what you have to do. So I do. I respect right. you for doing that. Well, I just, I just, I know what that's like. So right. <laughs> I just want to, just want to help, help out a bit. You know? Right. And I also have a question too. Like, what was the most challenging mm -hmm. thing about making this film? Oh, well, honestly, it was a pretty relaxed shoot. Um, I, I know I was terrified about the night where we shot all of the stuff at the gas station um, because it was in a, 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 a sort of fairly open air area and anyone could just drive right on right on by and sis and uh, bleh, and see us um and we 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 did have to stop f filming a few times because people actually showed up to get gas <laughs> um because it, it it was not closed but we um but we did get the location for free so that's a pretty small pr price to to pay um and it was also storming that night, so we just kept hoping everything would go okay, and thank God it did. And all the th uh, thunder and lightning that you see and hear is completely real, and I think it added a lot of uh, production value to the film. And uh, But I'd been so concerned with that one night and everything that might possibly go wrong that when it was over... I kind of just, I just kind of thought, well, that went off without a single hitch. And it's, it's, it's always those nights that you dread that somehow end up being the easiest. And the ones that you think will just be a piece of cake are all, they always go horribly wrong. It's like, you'll just plan a nice scene with just two characters at a table talk, talking with just a few, um, angles and the power will go out or the actors won't know their their lines or or they'll be late or just like something ri ridiculous and that's the, kind of the fun and infuriating part of indie film right. is that you just never know what you're gonna get and you have to adapt constantly on the spot exactly and you know what that's what they call in cinema like movie magic yeah yeah so, <laughs> exactly that's with the whole uh, James Cameron thing with the Titanic, they look at mm -hmm. all the disaster stuff that happened on that set. Oh and yeah, everything. and they're like, "This is going to be a piece of crap film. No one's going to care about mm -hmm. it." And then all the mishaps happen, and then also too, there's this one scene. Remember whenever Jack's on the Titanic, and then all and there's a sunset going on. That was actually improv from the actors and actresses saying, "Hey, look, we need to go in oh. and film it." Yeah, wow. So, I, you know what? It can actually benefit you in the long run, depending on how it goes. And I think it can. You just, you just have to roll with the punches, and you'd be surprised how many times you think that you have completely, just completely failed. 
and this whole scene is just not what you pictured in in your head because it because it, it rained or you lost the light or whatever but then what you end up getting instead is actually a lot better exactly and another thing too is i know i know that you mentioned about actors about how they have at least one film that is not so great and it was like well matthew mcconaughey for example he played in a lot of movies where it was like just rom-coms and mm-hmm. i'm like well you have to work your way up into the industry if there's like any other job you gotta work mm-hmm. your way from the bottom to the top you're not gonna get big roles or anything like that. So him doing rom-coms and stuff like that actually worked out for him in the long run because of the fact that he's an actor and that's what he's doing. Right. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he may have a couple of one stars or whatever, but, you know, with every one star, you're climbing that ladder each time. Well, that's very true. I mean, I've I've discovered very few actors have a lot of... have a lot of say in what they get to play. Um, there's very, very few. Um, I think probably at this point, I would say maybe Streep might have some kind of say. It seems like she gets all of this, all of the scripts for people of that age group before everyone else. So maybe she gets some kind of a say, but most actors just kind of are like, I'll, take whatever i can get you know so they they don't really plan the career so much because it's kind of hard to do right it's like whatever i can get whatever that's available i'll do because that's my yeah. job mm-hmm. Ex- exactly i mean it is a job at the end of the day it, it can be a very f- f- fulfilling and rewarding one but it is a job you know you have to pay the 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 bills and all of that stuff right you know? and another thing too is i know movie budgets is another thing that you were mentioning and mm-hmm. i'm curious like with a movie like a stranger among the living what was the budget like to do this movie it wasn't much uh i don't even really think i kept track because there was because it was so low really? <laughs> i mean it was like it's like th- there really wasn't a lot writing on this you know because um and I, we basically wore all of our own clothes. Like there weren't costumes, right. you know. Um, I think the most expensive thing was the fake blood. That was probably the most expensive part of the film. Um, and I like to keep budgets low because you you don't expect much. Right. Uh, so if no one sees the movie, it's kind of like, oh well, you know. <laughs> like, right. um, because I know people who raise like thousands upon sometimes millions to create a low budget film and they're devastated when nobody likes it or sees it um and you know and that's understandable you know um but i've discovered that if you keep them low you don't really have any expectations so if you make like 10 10 or 15 bucks you're like oh wow yay (laughs) like it's not you're still kind of surprised exactly because i know it's easier to make a seven million dollar film than it is to make a 150 million dollar film 
I think and, so, yeah. You know, I remember when horror films used to be where the studios would just go in and do a green light because they didn't really take them that seriously. Exactly, because there wasn't much of a risk because horror, horror on the whole, you don't really need big name stars, so that's out. So you definitely save a lot of money. Um, a lot of them take place in like one or two locations, you know, and the most expensive thing is the fake blood. So it's kind of a win-win. Um, and most horror films will turn some kind of a profit at some point. Right. And I know, um, let's say for example, $150 million budget, it only makes so much money. Mm Mm-hmm. the studio don't even make that much money off of it after it's been taken away because theaters actually have to make their money too. So therefore exactly. you want to try and make it as low as you can. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I'm kind of curious too, with the fake blood, what are you, I know that you use impractical effects and everything, but. Oh yeah. Like yeah. It's a uh, Kairos like the plastic- uh, syrup and uh, red food coloring and a little dash of Hershey's chocolate syrup. That's kind of the, the uh the classic you know <laughs> Cla- classic one <laughs> right that's what that's what i'm I kind of curious about because i like yeah i i'm not a I big like cgi guy. fan i'm uh it, i ve- very rarely do i think it looks good it always yeah same here i think that right I feel like, you know, mm-hmm. if you can mix it right, you're doing a good job. If you can actually mix right. practical and CGI together, then you're doing good. But yeah. if it's over a bunch yeah. of CGI... It gets a little weird. Like, uh, with those last two It time. movies, I was like, are there any practical of effects in this in this movie? I, I was like, it was just, it looked like a com- computer game. And I, I was kind of like, this isn't very scary. I don't know if you're trying to be, but it's not going to work. Um... So yeah, it it just kind right. of takes me out. Right, I can understand that, and I actually liked the very first It Chapter One movie. But yeah, I mean, I thought they were very well out. made. I just, I was like, "Are you trying to be frightening?" Right. Because if that's the case, you're not doing a great job. <laughs> because it just, you know, I, I, I keep remembering that scene. Right. I think it was in the second one where um, a character is at the home of an old lady and she turns into this like giant weird creature and i just kept thinking this would be so much more disturbing if they had just kept her the way that she looked and maybe put a little bit of makeup on her to make her look more i don't know uh, yeah because it just looked like a weird computer effect and i just thought this is like a this is it it just oh it was not it did not appeal to me very much i just thought this yeah right i can actually understand that though i mean Mm -hmm. there's actually yeah it was an odd way about that scene and i remember right and i remember watching the whenever they were promoting it and everything i went on ahead after i saw the scene and i saw what they were doing in the movie i'm like Mm -hmm. i can just walk out and go use the bathroom because i felt like I've already seen it. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. With that one scene. And I'm like, I don't like Yeah, I kind of wish before, you know that I mean? studios would go back to the sort of teasers 
that they used to have where they might have like a few tiny clips of the actual movie, but most of it would be something that they would, they would sh- shoot specifically just for the tra- trailer. And it would give you kind of a tease of the film right. or the tone, but it wouldn't show everything in the film. You know, that those were very right. effective. And nowadays it's like, well, here's the entire film condensed into two and a half minutes. Enjoy. I'm like, well, I don't need to see the movie now. So, like, I know what's going to happen. <laughs> right. It's like. And another thing, too, I'm going to use this mm-hmm. as an example. I love more Sorsese's movies. But with Shutter Island, I already well, yeah, I mean that was that wasn't too hard to predict. That was yeah, that was sort of. I was like, is that really the twist that you guys are going to go with? I mean, I've only seen that fifty thousand times, right? Because I remember, right? I I remember leaning over to my friend Kevin, and I'm like, dude, I was like, he goes, "What's up?" I said, "He's the mental impatient inside the um, inside the place." He goes, "How do you know that?" I said, "It's a simple paint by your numbers kind of thriller that Marcel is actually trying to do." I said, I said, it's not going to, it's a no for me. And then he calls me up, uh, maybe a couple of months later, <laughs> once the movie was released, cause you were right. I'm like, <laughs> I was like, he goes, how do you do that? I said, I've seen a lot of movies and cinema to know what is a cheap. Yeah. Way I of think some, sometimes I think people like us are kind of put at a, a slight, uh, dis advantage because we've seen so much that it's kind of hard to surprise us um i'm sure if like a six year old kid saw saw that they would be just thrown for a loop their mind would just be blown but i think once you've seen enough movies it's it's kind of when you pull that kind of a trick it's kind of like really guys really like is that the best we could do right Exactly. And then also, too, I want to mention the whole mm-hmm. entire scene with it, once again, with the, the woman. I have to agree with you. The practical effects of the transformation, like, they can still yeah, do the kitchen yeah. scene with her going back and forth and show a transformation without the CGI right. and everything, too. I was kind of so surprised I that I felt like the TV one from, I guess it was 1990, actually did that scene in a more effective way i was like really wow this is most definitely <laughs> like because we seem to have come so 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 far and yet at, at the same time we've gone back in that way exactly um let's see here another thing i wanted to ask was this um what, oh, what is uh, one of your favorite horror movies? Well, my all-time f- favorite is Carrie. I love that movie. I love it so much. Um, and and then like you know, I, I love Halloween and uh, uh, the the Stepford Wives and um, Car- Carnival of Souls. Um, let me think. Suspiria, Deep Red. Um, a Nightmare on Elm Street, The Exorcist, Night of the Living Dead. Um, just, oh gosh, there's so many. Right. So many. <laughs> right. And you see, mm-hmm. I love Stephen King movies. I love the practical effects with Stephen King movies oh, yeah. and everything else, yeah. especially in the early days. 
uh, when they're adapting mm-hmm. movies and from mm-hmm. his books to his movies and everything too. And then of course, Nightmare on Elm Street is just the oh. ultimate king. So great! Of it's so great. In that bed scene, <laughs> it really is. And if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't there a scene where Johnny Depp is actually crawling from under? It was cut out. Yeah, like I remember seeing that. Uh, there was an old tape. It was like a two tape. Uh, set that they released in the 90s and they had all of these uh, cut scenes and that was one that they just decided not to not to use to me I think that would yeah. be pretty cool to actually see that right it's like, like okay, what, is, what exactly death? happened to him yeah because <laughs> like, that's a lot of blood right. for one person right. <laughs> exactly but I love that. And then another thing that was part of, and you know what? I don't mind gore as long as it actually yeah, brings yeah. out part of the scene and everything, as long as oh, it's not course, there yeah. for the sake of being there. But if it's there Me to too. tell the story, I'm all for it. And I think The Shining is like the perfect example of oh, it's using a great movie. blood yeah, it's in the right fantastic. way. But, uh, Another thing too is what is, what director inspires you? To um, you I, well, uh, you know, uh, I would say Wes Craven and George Rom- Romero um, be- because they were such great storytellers who always told stories that were about something. It wasn't just, oh, it's zombies or a ki- killer on the on the loose. They, they always had s- something to say about humanity and uh, – and I also love that you know uh, George Rom- Rom- Romero. He kind of stayed put in his home hometown and made films there his entire life. And I mean, every now and then he might you know go some some somewhere else, but for the most part, he stayed there. And I love that. And it, I think it kind of shows that. Hollywood isn't the only place where you can make films and it's especially if you're trying to make the kind of stuff that he made because if he tried to pitch most of his stuff to Hollywood he might get a green light but they would rewrite that script and then he would film it and then they 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 would do the reshoots and and cut it up and it wouldn't be an interesting piece of art it would just be a product. So I, I, I think I'm kind of exactly. in, inspired by him a lot because he just kind of did his own thing and, uh, and was pretty successful at that, you know? Right. And mm-hmm. you know what? I love Wes Craven. I love his originality and I like George Marrero too. Um, with Wes Craven though, like, what I loved about that was how he actually mm-hmm. used like a true life event to actually write yeah, a story about yeah. Freddy Cougar, where if somebody was actually yeah, where somebody was mm-hmm. actually dying in their sleep, and it's like, well, what if there's this like this nightmarish character that was actually killing mm-hmm. people while they're in their sleeps in their in their sleep, and I'm yeah. like, that's actually a pretty cool concept because I didn't dig mm-hmm. into why he actually made it. Until maybe about four or five years ago. Yeah, and I I believe he wrote the script. I think in the early '80s, and nobody wanted it. Um, yeah, because they were like, this doesn't seem like it's going to be scary because it's a dream, and and no one believed in 
the script. And so he had to make that for almost no money whatsoever, whatsoever. And everybody just took a big risk. And that's what I think every film needs to do is to take a risk. And Hollywood is a little adverse right. to those. And that's the problem right, right now. Um, but I'm almost wondering if, if indie film is going to have kind of a resurgence um, because there's just stuff that's sort of brewing right now that makes me think there's going to be something soon. I have a feeling that there's going to be something. Yeah, I just have a feeling. Independent films again. Because here's the thing. I love independent films. I love uh, movies that Hollywood makes, yeah. but I love indie films as well. And I just love the originality behind indie Same films. Here. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. Same here. I think they can the take more risks because there's not as much that's at stake. You know, they haven't spent millions upon millions of bucks, you know, so there's not much at stake, which. I think kind of helps. Right. My question is this, with this film and everything, are you hoping that somebody actually spots it and actually wants to buy the property from you? Or is this just, I mean, that would be nice if I got like a really nice offer, but I, I I have the feeling I've, I've been a little bit burned in the past with distributors who said that they were kind of going to do one thing and then they didn't. And, uh, so I'm actually thinking of maybe trying to dis- distribute this myself because I'm just I okay I I wasn't thrilled the last two times with distributors. So. <laughs> yeah, right. I can understand that, and not only that, but like you mentioned with with Wes Craven, with New Line, mm-hmm. that was yeah. their first big film. I think was Nightmare on Elm Street. So. I could see you actually profiting off of something like that, though, too, where you have your own studio. Where oh, you I mean, from your lips that. to God's ears, please. That would be lovely. <laughs> I would be thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man, I I just want to say thank you for uh, for doing this interview. I mean, I could talk to you for hours about film and what goes into certain things and stuff like that. But you know, I I do appreciate the film. From what I saw with the trailer, I loved the poster. I loved all the thought process that you went into this thing. So I Thank wish you, you a so lot much. of success with this. You're very welcome. And of course, you're always welcome on the show anytime you want. I also want to also wanted mm-hmm. to ask you this too before we get off here. What did you think about Zack Snyder actually? Having well, I'm, I'm not. Uh, I never saw the original cut. So if it's a better okay. film, if uh, if um if it's if it's what he wants the world to see if it was suppressed by the studio then i welcome it a thousand percent because i i think studios have in the past really cut a lot of films down and watered them down and i support that because i don't i don't like uh i don't like when studios try to get their hands in a film that much same here as well and i don't like stuff actually being Mm-mm. left on the yeah. editing room floor i wanted it exactly the whole entire entirety and for them to and for them to actually put it on HBO i Max, think it's a great I'm thing i think it. it's great i think i wish they would do that so for a lot of other films too because i know it's happened a lot 
Another thing too is, I mean, it could open up the world for indie films. That that would be nice because I recall back in the day, HBO would take a few risks on movies that were more indie, and they would uh, pick up uh, documentaries and comedy shows and stuff like that. So it's possible, right? Well, I this is going to be. Uh, the end of the interview and everything, but man, I do want to say this. I do appreciate you Absolutely. taking the time out of your day again. I love, I love doing this with uh, with you and everything. If you ever want to come on the show, just let me know. I'll send you out another. That sounds invite great. And we'll do this again. Um, matter of fact, too. Um, oh I well, I uh, I have an Instagram page. It is at some people ain't me, and uh, and then I have a Facebook page. I have a a Facebook page for the film too, uh, which is uh, www.facebook.com slash a stranger among the living. And there's also an Instagram page for that, which is, I think at stranger among the living movie. I think um, I get confused and there's a, tw- tw- there's a tw- tw- uh, Twitter, but I don't really use it that much. I don't really get it. So, um, uh, so like you can follow well, me on that, but I don't really, see the point but uh but yeah so that's uh, that's basically all i got (laughs) okay for me you guys can actually reach me at john dig gregorio on instagram 85 you can also reach me at movie lovers tv lovers night on instagram you can also catch me on movie lovers slash tv lovers unite on facebook and also on twitter at john dig gregorio and then on twitter for movie lovers unite movie lovers unit and until next time bye-bye